and welcome to Who Corner to Corner podcast. I'm one of your hosts and my name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friend Paul. Yeah, hello, that's me. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you, Jeff. Good, good. My excitement levels are up to there. <laughs> really high, that is. Well, we're, we're not alone today, are we? We're joined by the no. wonderful Kevin McNally. Afternoon, Kevin. Hi there, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, we're good. Good, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, my pleasure. So we've got quite a few questions here. Um, we're going to talk a bit about Doctor Who and Flux and, and uh, Professor Jericho, and we've got some other topics that we want to talk about because you've done so much uh, across your career, um, and we want to kind of talk a bit about everything if we can. But my yeah. first question for you is, how does it feel to be so embraced and so quickly by the Doctor Who community? Well, it was quite shocking, really, because... Um, I know that there that the Doctor Who, Who community was divided um, over you know the the latest uh, incarnation, um, and that there and I and I was aware that there had been some uh, criticism of the storylines and stuff lately. So I knew I was going into something contentious, but um, but you know was glad to because I really enjoy Jodie. I think she's absolutely wonderful, and she's certainly a joy. Yes, we do too. Um, so for it to suddenly become so popular and people to be so warm about my character was um, a real thrill and therefore totally unexpected. Uh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, we, we're both big fans of, of the whole era, you know, with, with Jodie. Yeah, we, we think she's wonderful. And, uh, mm. you know, we, we said this before on the podcast, but there's, there's not long left with her on screen. So we're kind of <gasps> bracing ourselves no. for... And know. You know, for heartbreak, but massive upsets. Yeah. So, how did the role of Professor Jericho come your way? How did the oh, I remember, um, I was about to leave the country, and um, and this script came through, and I thought, oh my god, I hope I don't like this because I'm supposed <laughs> to be going away. And of course, I, go. <laughs> I started reading it, and uh, I was like, oh no, this is a really great. Oh, I could really enjoy doing this, and um, and and so I agreed to do it and delay all my plans. Um, of course, then I got to the end of the episode, and uh, I said, "Well, I, it looks like there's going to be another episode here, and I'm supposed to be going away yeah. to America." And they said, "Yeah, just one more," and then you know it ended up being just one. Yeah, more. It ended up being three in the end. So that so so that first script was that that was Village of Angels, yeah, yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a cracking story. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? So what what kind of pulled you in on that then? Oh, I really loved uh, the 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 60s setting, um, and mm. uh, and uh, you know obviously a, a wonderful baddie in the um, in the Weeping Angels or the mm. Whispering Angels, yeah. as I kept on calling them, and I had to be pointed <laughs> out to me that that was actually a rosé wine that I drank. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the, just that. And, you know, I loved when I got on the set and it was all that lovely 60s technology mm. and uh, working with Annabelle, who was just, you know, terrific, uh, a great cast all, all around the, the people I worked with. Yeah, that was my uh, next so question. It really dragged me and I, I just loved it mm. from, from the beginning, really. And also yeah. the fact that I was playing a rather stuffy, lonely academic who um, they managed to believably make quite sort of brave and heroic. So uh, yeah. I, I sort of appreciated that um, combination of qualities that they gave the character. Yeah, I, th I think the, the sort of the journey that he goes on 
you know, for the character, it's, you know, it's a huge thrill, isn't it? But yeah, he, he ends up doing something really heroic there. And uh, it yeah. sort of, it, it felt to me watching it and, and be interested to see what you both think, but it was like it, getting involved with the doctor and that, that whole adventure kind of gave him a bit more purpose and a bit of a kind of validation of the things that he'd been researching, you know, in his, his life as well. Yeah. And of course, you know, that that wonderful speech that they gave me at the end when he said, mm. I've lived more in my time with you than I ever have before, because I think he'd been rather um, a, sort of a hermit celibate sort of yeah. um, chap who had just had his uh, nose in a, in a, in a, in a research uh, office yeah. all of his uh, life. So to, to, you know, to suddenly find himself in the far reaches of the universe, trying to save him <laughs> um, was, was a, a bit of a, a one up from the little village he'd grown up in. Yeah. 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 It was good, wasn't it? And, and of course, there was, there was that whole sequence of events where we got a glimpse of these massive adventures, like Raiders of the Lost Ark style at the turn of the century. That that must have been a lot of fun to play. It was uh, terrific. Um, and, of course, came completely unexpectedly in the second episode, mm. um, you know, ending up in Tibet and on, on a big... Uh, yeah, the, her- the hermit guy, yeah. I mean, it was so, it was so big and adventurous. Um, and mm. the Indiana Jones sort of element to it, I think, was quite cheeky and quite quite nice. I like that, you know, particularly the graphics of the the plane flying and stuff. Yeah, like that. <clears throat> yeah, it was very indie, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, we ended up at the of course the Great Wall of China, which was <laughs> terrific. Yes, yes. <laughs> yep. We we believed that was actually the Great Wall of China. Oh, we went. It was the real paint Great and Wall of China. We went. It, it actually oh. was. <laughs> it was. That's quite amazing. It's, a <laughs> it's brilliant. If only if it was a days before COVID, it probably would have been. They yeah, could have even done yeah. that. Who knows? You <laughs> yeah. know, travel to China just to yeah. paint some stuff in a forest. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, it was, it was such good fun to watch, and it it, it it kind of disappointed me in some ways that we only ever got to see these little glimpses but from those glimpses the whole world of that adventure kind of opened mm. up and we could kind of try and fill in the gaps and, and if and if ever there was going to be a spin-off series of doctor who either on tv or in big finish audio I, I i think i'm not alone in saying that we would dearly love to see the further adventures of professor eustatius jericho yeah. well you never know um well yeah, one of oh, I see something in the pipeline, but um, oh. we'll we'll have a we'll have a think about that. I, I must say, as a sort of a coda to this, that um, yeah, a lot of I, I do the convention circuit a lot, and of course, it's mm. been rather taken over by Doctor Who uh, the last few that I've done. And I get right a lot too. of um, <laughs> people telling me, um, "God, were you very disappointed when they killed your character?" And I haven't the Mm. guts to tell them that I finally said in the third episode, I really have to go to the States now. Can you please kill me at the end of this episode? <laughs> but uh, I suppose I've let them know now. But it was me. I, did, did you I was actually the say that then? Of my own doom. Did, did you actually ask them then to, to kill off the character? Is that, is that all you're yeah, doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? No, no one ever truly stays dead in Doctor Who. So, well, you know, that's true. Yes. Um, perhaps there was some way, you know. I think the point that some people missed when they, you know, they, they were sort of uh, thinking that it wouldn't like to go on and on and on. Um, I think for an actor, you know, to have such a heroic mm. exit as that is far more satisfying than sort of drifting on and mm. coming in for the odd scene every now and again. You know, so I was, I, I was, I was very happy with the journey and the arc. And as you said at the very mm. beginning, the response has been terrific. 
Yeah, and and you know pe- people really love love you in it and and the character and yeah that even though there is that kind of sadness that you know you you didn't get to carry on that that line that you had there at the end and that heroic moment kind of like you say that kind of makes up for it because it was such a such a great moment so even though yeah. you know we we'd have loved it to carry on what we got there kind of you know if it kind of it's balances very it out a bit. It? very it was very sad I mean, closure. I know that it was it was lovely to film those last moments because you know it was at the end of the day we didn't have much time so it, we were sort of forced to do it very simply which was mm. nice mm. And, and also that there was because of that the director was letting me do a lot of it rather than it being done by you know special effects or anything like that so yeah. it was a nice acting moment as well as yeah, um, brilliant. you know a, a sort of a dramatic moment yeah as well shot wasn't it the, the, the way he kind of held that gun the, the angle on that shot and the photograph brilliant yeah. like you said absolutely heroic as a lot of actors would kind of kill yeah. for that i would imagine <laughs> i have a special gold colored pen for signing that photograph Do when you? i sign it for people because ah. it's obviously come up a lot that picture because yeah. it's so it's such a wonderful shot and the funny thing i can't remember anybody taking it i don't know i don't know who took it for <laughs> but uh, it's really is terrific yeah Yes, brilliant. Well, we we interviewed um, James Pardon, one of the photographers, on here a little while ago, yeah. didn't we, Jeff? Sure. And one thing he was saying was was kind of how to inveigle himself into the action, into the actors, into the sets without anybody noticing, almost like lurking around and then just yeah. taking these snaps. And the occasional one, just be the, the occasional snaps, suddenly become just iconic yeah. and, and and have a life far beyond that moment in which they were snapped. Yeah, well, it I certainly worked one with that them. one. Yeah and, and, yeah, and if it was him, <laughs> I don't remember him sneaking under my armpit to take it. No, <laughs> <laughs> he just never knew he was there. Yeah. Oh, hello, James. There you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, Brilliant. what was it like filming with with Jody and Mandip and John? Um, you, you said just now, you know, it was really good. But can you talk to us a bit more about it? Yeah, it was really terrific. Um, they're great uh, people. They um, we we did half have a laugh. I'll tell you. And um, they uh, <laughs> they sort of rather jokingly um, uh, would talk about the Kevin McNally half masterclass in acting because they, um, oh. they, they'd said that. Um, they said rather cheekily, well, we just don't do anything. We just say the lines, implying that I was doing an awful <laughs> lot of acting. <laughs> so it was sort of a slightly backhanded compliment. But um, uh, it, but it was interesting. And I had the very great joy of um, mm. being uh, in in the makeup trailer with Mandip and Jody on the day of my birthday. Um, when they, when I, as I came in, they greeted me uh, singing very loudly, um, Happy birthday, happy birthday. <laughs> and I have it on video, which um, oh, I, I show occasionally um, uh, to my children yeah. when they throw up. <laughs> <laughs> One of those moments. Yeah. Uh, but that was, uh, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Was it, was it quite difficult? I mean, there, there, were, there were COVID restrictions going on, wasn't there? Was it, was it challenging playing within those? It was. Um, I mean, one, uh, I can't really remember if it, it, it lifted slightly in the third mm. episode. But for the first two episodes, I was sort of either on set or in a hotel room in Cardiff um, that, you know, that had no restaurant or bar. So mm. I, I sort of kept going through this um, limited menu of three items yeah. uh, in a sort of an endless circle. <laughs> and there was nowhere else to go, really. So, um Oh, yeah, it, 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 it was yeah. a little bit strange and a little bit sort of, um, 
I felt a little a little bit marooned mm. uh, there, as mm. I'm sure everybody did. So that was a shame. But it was really nice in the last one. The um, the restrictions were lifting a little bit, and I was able to go out and you know maybe go to a bar or or go to a restaurant. Yeah. Um, it, but it was very bleak at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, so we've got a, a question here from uh, Pringle Source, which is which is a great name on Twitter, um, and their username Source. is uh, at officially source. And uh, they said, <laughs> "Why not? <laughs> what, what was the funniest moment filming Flux?" The funniest moment. I, they were all funny. Um, <laughs> I've got to tell you, <laughs> I did particularly enjoy um, being at the top of the um, uh, uh, Great Wall of China. With Mandip yeah. and uh, John uh, holding holding a Sparks legs as he tried to, as he hung <laughs> over the wall trying to retrieve um, a, a lost uh, rope ladder that made me laugh, but not not enough to stop me taking a picture of it. Uh, that was very <laughs> enjoyable. Brilliant. Um, I I, uh, I had a great time. Um, we we had a great time down in the catacombs. That was. That was yeah. really, really fun running in and out of doors, and uh, just so enjoyable. Um, that that was quite a set. Yeah, was it? Well, was it real? It? That yeah. a real location? No, it was a wonderful one. set. Right, <clears throat> an absolutely mm. wonderful set, um, and some fantastic CGI as well. I remember yeah. running through one door and being told to imagine we were at a, a sea of lava, and you know oh, yeah. we were actually on a. a a bench <laughs> covered in blue yeah, material, yeah. but then to see it, it was really exciting. Yeah, it looked pretty good. Yeah, screen, did the the um, yeah. effects work and, and the production values on the show have, have never been better than than they have been mm. in the last couple of years. No, so, wonderful. Um, yeah, what's it like for you working green screen and, and doing all of that, and you know something not being there or you know having to imagine. Well, I you particularly enjoyed so much of this because the only sort of green mm. screen thing I did was was that shot. My experience in the last 20 years, um, in fact, I usually say this when I do panels at the uh, conventions, you know, when I started doing Pirates of the Caribbean 20 years ago, mm. if we wanted to split a ship in half, we split a ship in half. But more and more, uh, you know, particularly with the advent of, you know, CGI and Marvel yeah. films, um, there's been more and more CGI, and it really sort of sucks the the joy out of the process for me a little bit. Does it? And I think any actor will tell you that. But um, so, what was lovely uh, for the for this Doctor Who is that that they did build wonderful sets like that, and we weren't doing too mm. much of that, as I personally yeah. don't. I guess it's quite nice. I guess it's quite nice when they combine the elements. So, you know, there, there's a real set that you can work within. There's a space you can react to. There's something that gives you the vibes and the feel of the place. But then they use CGI to maybe just expand the horizon slightly. So it becomes... Yeah, um, visible, I've always thought that CGI is at its best as, a, as an adornment, uh, you know, rather mm. than the whole the, the, the whole thing. Um yeah, uh, yeah, you know yeah. that you you can embellish. I mean, I'm hoping. I had this conversation with a taxi driver yesterday. Actually, did uh, you? Yes, I'm hoping that that CGI starts to wane and we start to use. I don't know whether you're familiar with the series The Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They. It was a lighting cameraman I was working with was saying, "Have you seen The Mandalorian? Yeah. This, these are actually you can see these sets. They're massive. Yeah. TV screens." Mm. Uh, that you actually yeah, yeah, wrap you know, around the whole set. They wrap they? around the whole set, so you actually mm. 
you know, it isn't the real thing, but you can see it and you can interact mm. with it and feel it. So I, I'm hoping mm. there's a lot more of that in the near future. Yeah, I, th- I think there there is talk of more and more of that. In fact, there was a chap on LinkedIn <clears throat> I was talking to the other day and he'd been doing some filming with that kind of virtual production. And he, he said it was amazing. They could go places that mm. they just literally couldn't do otherwise. But, you know, it it, it gives the actors more to work with because there is something there you know, mm. behind them rather than just a, you know, green screen for yeah. it. I'm um, all for it. <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, let's go back to the 80s a little bit and tell us about oh, yes, Hugo please. Lang. Um, and we, we've got a question from um, Matthew on Twitter, who's disciple of Brad, and he, he would like to know uh, how different was the process of making Doctor Who back then compared to recently? Well, it, it couldn't be any more different because when I started work in the 70s, there was an awful lot of television work of perhaps mm. dubious quality. Uh, was uh, And the process was that you rehearsed for a week and you went into a studio for three hours only and you shot it all on sets in multi-camera, having yeah. maybe gone to a quarry in the west of London for the day where they put up a rather shaky TARDIS. Um, and of course, by the time I came round to Flux, um, the process had become um, far more cinematic. Um, it's like shooting film. Mm. Uh, it mm. wasn't like shooting film back then. It was it was like a sort of a hybrid of sort of tele, televised theatre. Yeah. Yeah. You, did, yeah. you yeah. did the whole scenes all in one, you know, and um, very, very different. I mean, people would be mystified by the process now. Going mm. back... Um, to the twin dilemma, though, the very first time I was uh, interviewed about that many years ago was by Tony Haddock, yeah. who I'm sure you're you're aware of, the yeah. oh, yes, yeah. of, of Doctor Who. And mm. uh, we went to a coffee shop, and he, he, he played. He seemed very nervous, so I said to him, I, "Just before yeah. we just before we go ahead, Tony, I want you to know that I am fully aware that the Doctor Who world regards the twin dilemma as the as the worst episode." <laughs> ever made and, I, and I'm not insulted by that knowledge and he said oh good I'm glad we got that out of the way um, <laughs> just clear the elephant out the yeah way. so when uh, when I first went on the set for Flux uh, I yeah. was introduced to Jodie and we said hello and she said have you ever been in Doctor Who before I said yes I was in the worst episode ever made in the 80s <laughs> she went oh well let's hope it's not like that now then um, no. but but I mean it was still nonetheless tremendous fun and I, I loved working mm. with Colin and I, and I loved meeting up with him at Doctor Who conventions yeah. um, these yeah. days we had yeah. a great great time um, and it, it wasn't the greatest of stories but um, it, it, it sort of made it it's, it's a nice talking point for me when I meet people who enjoy Flux that the that I have that 37 year gap, mm. you know, that's yeah. how long it took Before them they asked to, you to back. rebook me, you know, 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> you were obviously really busy yeah. in all yes, that time course, though, Kevin, yeah. working, parts yeah. of the Caribbean and everything else that you've been doing. But do you know what, just on the twin dilemma, because I, 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 I was watching it the other night. I thought, cause I, and I haven't seen this for a long time. And I was certainly one of those who wasn't that impressed when I first saw it. And I think a lot of that is because the story preceding it, in my opinion, is just so, astonishingly good and still stands up today as one of the very best examples of Doctor Who when it all works. So the twin dilemma by comparison does feel like a bit of a drop-off, but watching it on its own the other day and in a, in a mood to kind of reevaluate it, I thought, well, it's not that bad. There are 
some decisions which you think if they did that now they would do differently but I think the story itself is still reasonably solid I think the only thing that really sort of stuck out was how the sets how the studios are lit there are literally no shadows (laughs) at all in any of those sets even the cave sets they are everything is just in almost two-dimensional yeah. in its relief and and that seems to be one of the biggest issues with TV yeah. <clears throat> it is it is the problem uh when you look back at uh, studio work because it all had to be top mm. lit of course because as you know <laughs> if you know anything about film you know you you move all of the lighting with every camera move um, yeah actually mm. mm. so you know with five cameras um just everything had to be all round lit yeah. Otherwise, it, it would it would look very peculiar. The fact is that it looks very peculiar anyway, but yeah. it would look mm. almost undis- you wouldn't be able to see anything. Really. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you'd have so many. You'd, you'd be shooting some people, and the side of their heads would be black. You wouldn't see. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't see. Anything. Yeah. Or, yeah, or you'd have another light in shot that was working in another yeah, camera exactly. angle, and exactly. you know yeah. it would just be yeah, be really really difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah, kind of weird. But in some ways, I mean, that doesn't always detract from the story because I know I know you were in I Claudius as well, weren't you? Which is a lot a bit earlier than than the Twin Diner, yeah. and that is, I think, the kind of exemplary illustration of what you were saying about TV plus theatre, that kind of combination, because it is very theatrical in its presentation, but it is absolutely riveting. And there's a moment where you you just go beyond the, the surface detail and become so engrossed in the characters and the drama and the story that the kind of almost plasticity of it, that, that kind of fake feel, just, just vanishes like when you're watching good theatre. Well, Herbie Wise was a genius. And um, <clears throat> what's interesting about it, I've had two 20-and-a-40-year 20, 20 anniversary of mm. I, Claudius, now. I mean, what's fascinating about it, watching it, is that there are some extraordinary things in it, like uh, Brian Blessed's death, you know, which was just a close yeah, with yeah, with his eyes open, open all that time. Um, there's mm-hmm. a whole scene between um, George Baker and John Castle uh, where they just play squash um, and they do the scene and keep this game of squash going. There, mm. <clears throat> there is a scene in a market that me and Derek Jacobi did mm. uh, that was Studio One built as a market and lit. And it looked like it's the outside. Mm. So uh, that that was that form of television at full tilt, um, and and it yeah, stands up yeah. to this day. I think. I think so. Mm. I think it really. Have you have you seen it, Jeff? You've seen? Uh, no, I, I've seen bits of it. I think, and I and I, I'm aware of what you know that what, what the show is and things. But yeah, I, I haven't actually seen it. So I'll, I'll have to hunt it down. It must be on streaming somewhere, and I can. Yeah, check it out. Highly yeah. recommended. To I, you I think you everybody. may have to um, go to your antique shop and get a and get a <laughs> yeah. DVD. <player>. A DVD. <laughs> or it might be on VHS. I don't know if it is available. It must be on DVD. No, it's, it's got Sure, yeah, it must it's be one of it, the yeah. biggest selling DVDs um, oh, around. Really? Actually, yeah, Be- really? just because of yeah. the generation of people who remember that. Yeah, that yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah. Um, I was just going to say that it's the the um, perception of the twin dilemma. Uh, you know, episodes often get these kind of um, mm. views on them that are not necessarily you know true or, or accurate about them. Um, and you know, whether that is you know the worst episode ever or, or not is is up for debate. I would imagine, but for certainly for myself and, and Paul, I think you know, village of the angels is, is absolutely one of the best doctor who episodes. And we, uh, we came online to, yeah, we came online to do our podcast recording after the episode had gone out. 
And uh, I could hardly talk because uh, I said that is the, the best cliffhanger <laughs> that Doctor Who has ever had. He was so excited, <laughs> yeah. Kevin. You should have seen and, uh, him. He was like a little boy bouncing up and down. <laughs> that is, you know, that what an incredible episode. Everything about it, and um, yeah, you know, yeah, it was just it was brilliant. I was sat there. My wife was in the room when I was watching, and she she's not really into who uh, I, I don't know why we're still married to her to be honest, but you know, <laughs> and uh, she she sort of looked up and. She she saw Jodie turn into the you know to the weeping angel and she said what what's going on what does that mean and I was going I don't know I I don't know and it just you know they resolved it quite quickly the week after but yes yeah. those those cliffhangers were just just brilliant uh, you know across yeah the no absolutely I mean I I walked away thinking I wonder how, I wonder how they're going to solve that not yeah. that I was going to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it was nice what you said about Colin Baker there, because uh, again, you know, wrongly I think his doctor was is sort of got a bit of a you know perception from his his time on screen, but he's had such a wonderful career on Big Finish afterwards, and and his doctor has been he's just been brought to life, hasn't he, Paul? Really, and, and yeah, fleshed out much so. so much. Um, I, I did a very confusing Big Finish recently when I. I, I actually couldn't work out how many doctors I was working with. There seemed to be a hundred of them. And there was Colin and there was David and um, I think Paul yeah. McGann, although I didn't talk to uh, him, I didn't do a scene with him. It was really wonderful. Peter Davidson. It was really wonderful. There's so much big finish that, uh, and we've talked about this. Well, that, I mean, that just could be another one that looks like the one I was in. I don't know. Yeah. It's all so good. I think I've done, I think I've done two of them uh, during that. Oh, okay. It's, um, it's hard to keep on top of them all. Yeah. It is, isn't it? I'm just looking well. What with one thing and another, um, the last two years have been incredibly busy for me, which I'm brilliant, tremendously grateful for because I don't do well sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, but you know, but being able to do things like um, the big finish shows and uh, podcasts and and things that that perhaps I normally wouldn't have had time for before, it's just been really filled up my time, and I've enjoyed it. Every second of it. Yeah, I, th I think. Well, you know, I, I run a little video company, Kevin, and you know, when lockdown happened, all the work I had just just collapsed, and you know, everyone I know that does the, the kind of stuff that I do, or like you do, and acting and presenting, you know, it was, it was quite a scary and worrying time. So when mm. you know someone says you know they've been busy, and you know, it, it's so good to hear that because it, you know, it, it, I, I wonder if it was as scary for you as it was for. You know, for us, when it all kicked off, and you know, any bookings you had fell apart. And well, uh, there was one stroke of good luck is that in January of 2020, I was bemoaning the fact that this rather wonderful, well-trained voice of mine was not used enough, in my opinion, um, for voiceovers <laughs> and stuff like that. So I invested in some rather professional. Oh Recording. yeah! Look at that! Yeah. Oh, look at that! Equipment, mm. little boxes and things like that. <clears throat> Box and tricks, sorts Ooh. of microphones. So yeah. as soon as the lockdown Stuff. happened, the everyone yeah. was like, to the agents, "Who can record at home?" Yeah. And so I was like that. So me <laughs> and my wife were um, were just doing voiceovers the whole time and Brilliant. narrating TV shows, and so that kept us going for the first. The initial shock, you know. Mm. So the wine bill was being paid at least <laughs> for the first three months. It's very important. Very that important. One going, that's for sure. Wine bill paid. Yeah. So that <laughs> took the brunt off the beginning, and then one could recalibrate and, and you know start to mm. 
think about doing little films with people. You know, I work with a lot mm. of young uh, uh, young talent who, as I say, I might not have had the time to work with yeah. Yeah. before. So a, a lot of positive things came out of it for me. That's that's good. That's really good. So you've done. Uh, I was looking at your your list of credits the other day, and your your list of of work in general is huge. But your your TV credits, you know, Supernatural, Downton Abbey, Spooks, uh, is just massive. But so, what's what's been your favourite role to play? What, what's something that you Ooh, kind of that's a big really question. enjoyed o- over? Well, I, I, I say this answer a lot because. Um, I always tell people who ask me that what is so fortunate about my career is my favorite role mm. is always my next one. And so uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm about to do a project that I'm re I'm as excited about as I was about my very first job 14 oh, years wow. ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. But plainly, you know, at the age of 47, uh, when Pirates of the Caribbean came out, there was a mm. paradigm shift in my life in that I went from being, a, you know, a highly employed a British character actor to somebody who is employed worldwide now. And the mm. travel has been amazing. Mm. Um, just the accessibility of work everywhere for me has been uh, really terrific. So, you know, that obviously uh, Joshua Me Gibbs in Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, holds a very soft spot for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to ask about pirates, um, but, and you've kind of touched on it a bit there. But it, yeah, almost twenty years of, of your life kind of involved with the with the series, and I imagine it just changed everything, didn't it? And we we chatted recently with Sam Spruill, who played Swarm mm. in Doctor Who Flux, and yeah. we were talking about some of the big things he's done, and he said he doesn't feel like he's kind of you know hit the big time in the way that, you know, like someone like Robert Downey Jr. might be or something or, or Johnny Depp. But, you know, he's been doing work in, in big things that has kind of helped yeah, change the, the path of his career. So it, it's mm. been similar for you, I, I guess. And uh, Completely, and- <clears throat> completely the same. <clears throat> and the other thing is that it, it it's done that and, and, you know, opened up the world in America without mm. any of the downside of the sort of fame you're talking about. Because... Right. You talk to people like Johnny Depp or Robert Downey Jr. about what the particular fame they have means. And uh, it's a very uh, complex response they have to it and a very complex Mm. relationship they have with it. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that I know that most people I see in the street, wherever I go in the world, have seen me on the screen. But very few of them interact with me. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, and, and I love it when people do. But on the whole, I, I walk around pretty anonymously, just uh, looking mm. like an old bloke. I mean, if anything, people, if I stay still too long, will throw money at me because um, I'm just <laughs> a tatty old fella. But um, uh, but it's it's you really find out when you go to the conventions about how mm. what an effect. And, and very, That's where that very love movingly comes at times. I, I had something recently happen where a mm. girl. I, I find this quite difficult to talk about actually, but a. a, a young girl had been trying to come up and speak to me and um, uh, eventually we encouraged her to come over and her story basically was that she'd had a very um, abusive childhood and she told me that uh, if it wasn't for pirates uh, she probably wouldn't be here that it had been a place that she could go to a fantasy she could live that 
got her through the very worst times. And you hear something like that and you want to say to younger actors, if you're out there uh, and you're interacting with the public, don't ever take it. Um, don't ever be um, sarcastic or don't ever, mm. you know, uh, take it for granted because you might meet that girl one day and uh, mm. you have to respect her story. Yeah, that's that's lovely to hear. And, you know, we, Paul and I, we've talked to, uh, you know, other Whovians, haven't we, over the, the years and, Mm. And 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 I think it's the same for us as well. But the show it, it means so much, and and for people, it's it's like you said, their safe place to go, and it's that it's that comfort, and you know you, you have a, a connection with with the doctor. And so I, I went to uh, the London Comic Con recently that that Jody and Mandip were at. Ah, uh, yes, I was going to go to. I missed it. I had to go away. Yeah, I, I I knew you were at one recently, but but not at that one. Yeah. And so I and I got to go meet meet Jody and Mandip, and you know it's it's only brief, but it was such a kind of amazing moment. Mm. And and there were people that were coming out after me, and you know they were they were in tears over it because it just mm. it just meant so much. I mean, I'm you know I'm quite you know rock hard and you know I couldn't you know I wasn't crying about it you know yeah deep down yeah and and it's just it's wonderful and um you know I think it's so important when like you say when you meet the fans to 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 give that little moment to them Mm. and and you know I can't remember someone said this in an interview once but you know they're the ones kind of effectively paying the wages and it's always a bit upsetting when you read a story about oh you know I met so and so and they were really rude to me and things and you yes I, I mean a lot of us on the the convention circuit find that appalling because um although obviously there is a financial reward to doing it I think when you come across people who are only doing it for the money and you know have things like mm. please don't have eye contact with the artist or you can't talk to the artist or you can't ask them mm. a question then you just think well what's the point of going really um yeah and of course what they don't realize yeah. is the yeah, for, for them and for the fans yeah i've just met mm, and you know what a mm, they were you know um it's yeah. uh, I, mm. I wish people like that wouldn't do it actually it, and it gives it a bad name as well yeah it's yeah, it does, isn't it? And mm. and and like we were saying, you know, for someone like Johnny Depp, you know, the the level of fame is it just mind-boggling, isn't it? I think to to you know comprehend a, a life and, and a world like that. And well, actually, Johnny has a word for it. Johnny level. calls it the circus. <clears throat> he says, "Well, really? I'm not here working. Saying. You know, <laughs> the life that I have around me, I yeah. call the circus. It's this big." thing that goes around with him you know the, the fame and yeah you know the, the that's inability a, that's a good name for it in, a, in, in, any sort of reasonable yeah it, yeah that's it. it it probably helps him deal with it as well doesn't it because I mean, we, we've all got to have a coping mechanism mm. for that yes indeed catapulting yeah, into superstardom, that's, yeah, that's, that's it although John, johnny's um uh i notice of late is, is indulging his love for music which i think will make him very happy yeah, that's good. Do, do you talk to him a lot? We we can cut this bit if if you want, but uh, I, uh, no, you, know, you don't have to. It, I don't. You... I don't speak to him in between um, the jobs. We we get right. have a great time when we work together, but we've never socialised outside of, um, of of the job. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, but but you know, quite right too. You, you know, you can't become friends with everybody, but yeah. uh, the, the working relationship <laughs> is terrific. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I, so, so he's a good pro on set, is he? Oh, absolutely, a team player. I mean, wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I, I, I've, I can't uh, praise oh, him highly enough as both an artist and a man. Brilliant. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah. So, t- tell us a bit more about working on Pirates, because 
you know, the films are great fun and they're absolutely massive. And like you said, you know, nowadays you'd probably have a ship, pirate ship, and you'd do it digitally and, and stuff. But back then they were building pirate ships and putting them on actual ships so they could sail them, weren't they? And then firing oh, yeah, cannons yeah. and stuff at each other. I mean, it's, you know, it came... <laughs> it must have been the slightest brilliant <laughs> playground yeah. to just get all of that pirates role-playing. Well, it's funny you should say that probably. because um, people often ask me, you know, what's it like making a pirate film? And I say... Well, it's just like playing pirates when you were a kid, but the toys yeah. are better. Yeah, you know, I mean that's <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and real. Yeah, yeah. So and things really do go yeah. bang and boom and everything else. And yes. So and that's yeah. a I, I have a big you. problem, of course, whenever I uh, I do. I, I've just yeah. done a western for the first time. Oh, really? Which is really. Do you do your own sound effects, Kevin? I do. I can't stop myself. <laughs> yes, going, good man. And also when I do fight sequences, I totally when I do, do fight that. sequences, the stuntmen are always saying, can you stop going, yeah. boof, boof. We'll <laughs> <laughs> provide that later. You know. it's, it's like the stories I hear from, um, was it like Ewan McGregor now, when he first went on the set of Star Wars and he starts doing lightsaber noises. I can totally relate to that. I mean, Yeah. That must be a good thing about an actor is that in some ways, you get the right part, you can just be like a big kid mm. if you want if, if you want to be absolutely I mean, but with the professional aspects obviously yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah well you know what i think is um by i, I mm. teach uh, students a lot and i always say to them you know the more you prepare the more you enjoy yeah. yourself on the day you know and i'm always really well prepared as are most actors very very well yeah, prepared. yeah. so that on the day you just have fun you know and mm. and my yeah, god there's some yeah. fun to be had on pirates it was well, I've got a question Same thing here. With, with Doctor Who, of course, as well. Yeah. Well, um, Orinoco McGee, who is at Deadly Night on Twitter, says, did you get up to any crazy shenanigans whilst filming Ooh. Doctor Who and, and Pirates? That, that in, you can in tell Cardiff us in that, lockdown? No. <laughs> <laughs> there were no shenanigans. <laughs> Running between had. the trailers. The, the, the height of my evening from. would be my third glass of rosé wine before I went to bed with the script. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's all right. That's something to do, isn't yeah. it? So for for you, Pirates has been five films, isn't it? And and mm. a, a number of video game, uh, you know, voice parts mm. as well. So is it quite nice to have a character that becomes yours and, and you become, but, you know, vice versa, and every so often it, it comes back up again for you to, to go back out and do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a funny story about that, actually. When after the third Pirate film, um, a video game came out. I think it was a, 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 one of those Wii games back in the yeah, day. Right. And they didn't bother asking any of the original actors to do the voices. Ooh. And there was a guy doing Mr. Gibbs. And I mentioned this to a fellow voice actor and he said, oh, I know that guy. Um, I said, you haven't got his phone number, have you? He says, <laughs> he says yeah, I have. I said, dial it for me and give it to me. So we dialed this guy and I said, yeah. Hi, this is Kevin McNally here. If you ever play Mr. Gibbs again, I will find you, I will find your family, and I will kill you all. And he went, is that really you, Kevin? I said, yes. So <laughs> I think he told them at uh, Disney um, that I'd said this. And so they they started yeah. asking me to – I'm sorry for robbing him of the, the gig, but oh. uh, I just didn't like the fact that somebody else was playing Mr. Gigs, uh, Mr. Gibbs. Well, and uh, well, no, so you're right. I it's, did all I did everything of Mr. Gibbs after that. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's good. a bit like um, you know we we were listening to some big finish, weren't we, Paul? That had uh, a guy called Jacob Dud Jacob Dudman doing kind of 
oh, interpretations yes. of like Peter Capaldi or, or Matt Smith. Yeah. And they're very good and, and he really is excellent, but there is something about But it's not it's, it's not them, it? yeah. It's not the twelve. And it's like playing a video yeah. game of you know, based on a film or something, and when it's not, you know, the actual you know, actors doing the voices, you can just tell and like like yeah. no matter how good they are, you know, it's it's not yeah. quite the same. So so that's great that you know you you get to do that. So mm. do you do you think there'll be any more pirates adventures? I know there was talk a while ago about um kind of a female well, version. It's very or... hard to say whether the talk is generated by the studios, whether the talk mm. is generated by social media. Mm. I personally have not heard any concrete plans about uh the future. I think there are two things to bear in mind. One is that um although all of the pirate films have made money. The last two did not do well domestically in America, particularly, mm. and that's very important to the studio. And the other is, is that being one of the oldest franchises, but maybe, you know, maybe the second old, third oldest to um, mm. Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, mm. um, it's remarkably linear. You know, it's not, there isn't a... a, a, a Pirates of the Caribbean universe in the way there is a Marvel universe. No, that's so true. I think there is some discussion maybe going on at Disney about what di- even direction they would take mm. if they if they wanted yeah. to do another pirate film. I personally um, don't quite understand why Mr. Gibbs isn't starring in his own story Tales of the Caribbean on Netflix. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I think that absolutely should happening. be a thing. Yeah. But, uh, well, perhaps this is, you know, we'll start like the campaign um, here. You would have, you would have a, you know, some ongoing mm. other directions for it. Mm. Yeah, like a like a spin yeah. off that allows you to explore a different part of that whole yeah. kind of world. Yeah. And, yeah, you're so right. It it's, allows it's, different stories to be. It told. is a rich world, you know, with, with the pirate themes, mm. obviously, and the supernatural yeah. element, and you know, the fantasy and stuff. I mean, yeah, the only thing I have to say is they better get a bloody wiggle on because ain't none of us getting any younger. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I imagine you're quite busy as well, Kevin. You got loads. I of am. Stuff yeah. On. I mean, but, but I just worry that it'll come back and it'll be called Pensioners yeah. of the Caribbean. I mean, <laughs> Boom! That was good. Almost scripted. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> do, do you have a favourite of those films, Kevin? Yes, I might. The set. Well, the first one, yeah. of course, nobody anticipated uh, mm. quite how successful and how quickly successful it was. Do, do you know? I remember um, reading about uh, the panic about Johnny's. You know, performance as, as oh, Jack Sparrow. Yeah, really. You know, it, swarming over us all day long, every day. Yeah, yeah really? it wasn't written that. like that, was it? And and I think they got a bit freaked out when he started being a bit, you know, a bit wobbly and a bit camp. I, I and, loved that, but that's what because it was so unexpected. Yeah. I I didn't expect Johnny Depp to to, to play it like that, or, or, or to do a film like that. Instantly, I'm going to watch mm. this now because I had no interest in it until I started watching it, and I thought, and, and his performance, true, yeah. absolutely. I mean, he instantaneously, um, mm. from nowhere, produced a legendary, mythical performance. You know, it was just extraordinary. Yeah. It, it yeah. was a great privilege to be part of and to watch it unfold. Um, mm. So, well, how but did the in answer to your come... question, my favourite oh, film sorry. is the second one because it has the most Mister Gibbs in it. Yeah. <laughs> which, oh, which is an entirely reasonable answer, as, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. we can let him yeah, have that yeah. one, can't we, Jeff? Yeah. So, um, how did those films come come your way? Did did you get a call about them, or did you have to you know audition and go through well, the process? Well, what what happened was is I had been a few years before I'd realised that I hadn't made 
um, a, a film for about nine years, I think. And mm. I phoned up my agent and said, I'm not going to accept any more work until I'm going to try to get a few little film credits so that I'm on yeah. the lists, you know, when yeah, things get yeah. cast. And so a friend of mine put me in a small part in Spice World and another friend put me a small part in Sliding Doors. And then I got a, a film called... Uh, uh, I don't know. It was it was a, an Irish thriller. Um, I can't remember what it was called. And then I got a nice little role in um, the, uh, the Sean Connery, Catherine Zeta Jones film, Entrapment. And then I got oh, another yeah. little film. But all the way yeah. through all this, I'd been going up for American films because I'd started to get you know people. I was getting on people's lists again, and I would never get an American film. And in fact, yeah, at one yeah. point, I remember going up for Spider-Man and coming away and saying to a friend of mine, oh, they'll give it to William Defoe or somebody. And indeed they did. It was the Green Goblin. <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah. So it, it comes to my birthday in 2002 and I'm sitting in the back garden drinking my mm. rosé wine as usual. And somebody said to me, don't you have an audition today? I said, yeah, it's for an American film. I never get them. So I I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to bother going. And they said, oh, come on, it's a ticket. Oh, wow. you, you must go on. I said, well, I can't. I've had a few drinks now. I'm a bit pissed. Said, well, for it's for a pirate. It doesn't matter how pissed you are. <laughs> so she drove me to the yeah, interview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Getting into character. She drove me to the interview, yeah. and I was just asked, the casting director said, the director has asked you to sort of tell a story like a pirate, which I did. Um, I felt was feeling very relaxed and happy and uh, they yeah. offered me the part the next day, and uh, I couldn't believe it. Actually, wow, it was yeah. extraordinary. God, this, it this, was only by not wanting to do it you know, I get it. It was. It's a real lesson, I think, to young actors. Yeah, that, that you got it. Yeah. She insisted that she took you there. Yeah, exactly. You got you, it. Yeah, and then it becomes legendary. These you, yeah. you've got to take every opportunity, haven't you? Yes, you have. Yeah, um, absolutely. So right. let's go back even further and. Tell us how you got your start in, in the acting world and, and what Ooh, was it that in, inspired your love of, of acting? I think it was um, a, a, a mixture of enthusiasm and also a lack of application. Um, I remember being in a maths class when I was about <laughs> six or seven, maybe, uh, drift, you know, drifting off. You could see the airport from our, my school windows. We used to watch planes taking off. Right. And mm. so that people were doing these. I was not very good at maths, and people were doing these maths, this math book. And I thought, oh, same. I can't. I don't know what is seven times eleven. I don't know. Um, and the teacher did something. I, I still don't know. This, <laughs> you you know the answer. The teacher wrote this um, uh, line on the blackboard, and I thought, oh, what she's doing that for? And then yeah. she rubbed it out and said, uh, class, can anybody tell me what I just wrote on the blackboard? And I said, you wrote, my sunbeams are dancing in the meadow below where tulips and daisies and daffodils grow. She said, right, you've got the lead in the Harvest Festival play. Uh, and I thought, bloody hell. And so I did it. And then my uh, mum came that. along and she was so thrilled with my performance as the sun in the Harvest Festival play that she bought me a, a Mars yeah. bar and a Beano. <laughs> and I thought, so I get rewarded for not paying attention in class. This seems like a job for me. Fantastic. Yeah. Funny enough, I played King Lear many years later at the Globe Theatre. And I told this story yeah. to the publicity department. And on the first night, they gave me a copy of the Beano and a Mars bar, which I thought was really nice. Um, 
Did they? <laughs> you, you should. Oh, really, oh, lovely. You should put that in your. That should be, that should be like a standard yeah, your rider. For, uh, yeah. For, yeah. for King Lear, yeah. shouldn't it? Really? How much will you do this you, film you for? Should. 18 Beanos and 14 Mars bars, please. Yeah. yeah. A, 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 a year subscription, yeah. 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 Stick a Snickers in there for an extra special one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, some of that. That's lovely, that. And is. I'll have an annual yeah. as well. Marvelous. Yeah. Well, I don't know about yeah. an annual, mate. You do an annual, we've got to do the matinees. You've got to do the matinees if you want an annual. And now, now you're driving a hard bargain there, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah he's, he's asking a lot. These actors, they do that, don't they? Hey? What do they think they are? Obviously, he oh, thinks no. a lot of yeah. himself. He's really up himself. He's up himself <laughs> these days. He wants an annual. He's up it, mate. He's up himself. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? Actually, on that, do you... Because given the widespread um, variety of um, you know characters that you played, do you find yourself digging into accents as a part of personality? Have any of those been kind of difficult? Have you had to play a bit more Cockney or like Northern or something? Yeah, like no, that? I love doing accents, and I've done a lot of them, and, yeah. and I've had to really in America mm. research it because uh, I had a rule, although I've just broken it recently. I, I don't. I don't like to play English people over there, because I found oh, that that's interesting. Yeah, I found that if you if you've got an English accent and you're very English over there, you yeah. either play Nazis or Romans. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> I have noticed this in American bad guys. Yes. So I try to play American over there a lot, and in fact, I'm about to mm. do a big movie for Paramount in which I'm playing uh, one of the leading roles, and I'm playing it American. Which so yeah. it's, I work at it quite hard. Um, but I, I've actually the ADRing I'm doing this afternoon is for a show I've just done in New York, in which I was asked to play um, an Englishman right. because uh, yeah. Rachel Weiss is the lead in it. I'm playing her father. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, English, yeah, as you really. know. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. But I love doing accents, and in fact, I, I'm a Northerner in yeah. that. So I, I shall be bringing out my Leeds accent this afternoon. <laughs> Polly, is that where you're from, Leeds? Is it? Huh? Are you from Leeds? Are you? Was it? The characters from Leeds. Oh, the characters yeah. no, from I'm Leeds. From Birmingham. Yes, yes. Mm, your, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. I was just looking on your Wikipedia page, right. which says born in Bristol, early years in Birmingham. Birmingham so that's Mark. quite a thing, isn't it, really? Yeah. That's great. That is. I'm so not often asked to bring out my Birmingham. Birmingham accent, but I brought it out a You're little not, bit mate. in Downton Abbey, actually. Did uh, you? Yeah, playing oh, a rich I, I should know that if I'd watched Downton Abbey. Of, of all the things you've done, that's one I, I haven't seen. Oh, so there's I'm, a treat. Sorry, I can't claim to watch that one. Pretty good, is it? It's still going. Are they? Well, are they just no, they're doing movies now. Out, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're done two oh. movies, and I think they're thinking about. Doing a yeah, oh, that's good. That's ah, good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, uh, Kevin, you uh, used to you used to write TV under a pen name, didn't yeah. you? Some some years ago. Yeah. So, did you enjoy doing that? And is it something that you would do again today? Not necessarily under a. I a, did enjoy doing that, but it is something I definitely wouldn't do again. When I was writing with my. Uh, uh, writing partner uh, Bernard Dempsey as Kevin Sperring uh, my mother's maiden mm. name uh, the the world of television was a very different place you know um, mm. so and what we would do is we'd go meet the producer and I was writing I wrote Minder mainly and uh, yeah. and I and I would go in and say to them uh, oh, oh okay we've got an idea we're going to do um, uh, Arthur Daly has a feud with um, Dave who runs the bar they were great go ahead and do it so we would come back with a script about three weeks later and they would film that script and they would put it on the television. Very simple, easy process. Mm. 
yeah. easy process. By the time of the late 90s, you know, it was, well, if mm. you've got an idea, can you bullet point it? Then can you do some spring screen breakdowns? Can you do another screen breakdown? And then maybe three months later, you would get down to actually writing a script. And I remember turning around to Bernard and saying, um. I'm not doing this anymore. It's just, they, mm. it, like, like green screen in film, they've managed to suck yeah. all of the joy out of writing for yeah. television. Yeah. <clears throat> do you, do you think a lot of that sort of thing, like you, you know, you mentioned that the suits were swarming around on, on pirates mm. in, in fear, is because there's a, mm. uh, it's just panic. You know, they're they're scared to take a chance on things, and you know, just kind of well, play absolutely, it safe on a lot and, of stuff. You know, you can see. Uh, uh, television and entertainment by committee nowadays in so much as there mm. are so many reboots and remakes mm. of things. Um, it, it's a yeah, very brave young option. executive at a studio who will decide mm. on something new um, mm. when they can go and do something that's already proven. Yeah. So, um, you know, th- th- there is a sense of, we were left to it back in the day. I remember Herbie Wise of Adai Claudia saying they handed him mm. a million quid and said, make, a 13-part television program about I, Claudius. And he went ahead and did it. Well, um, he never yeah, heard from yeah. them until they put it out and they said, oh, that was very good. Thank you. So, you know, those were the days, as we say, you know. Well, it's, those were the days, it, Governor. It's a bit oh, like, yeah. um, you know, Doctor Who back in, you know, it's, in its early days, you know, and you, you'll have read about this as well, mm. Paul. But, you know, it, it was, I, I phoned up a mate and said, we need a script for Doctor Who. What ideas have you got? And the script came in, and and sometimes you see the stuff in Doctor Who magazine, don't you? It's it's you know photocopies of, you know letters and pages and stuff sent out, and just it's completely different. It's incredible they ever got it made. Yeah, <laughs> but, but also the kind of do. like you say the the simplicity of it and and the sort mm. of ease. You know, you could just write the script, mail it to your friend, and you know stick on the back of a fag packet yeah. and put yeah. it in the post. Yeah, yeah. And, and it wouldn't happen like that at all these days. <laughs> Those are the yeah. days. Yeah, those was the days. Although with your writing, Kevin, you you do have a novel out there, do you not? I, I do. Uh, don't Sons say no, of because Soul. I'm looking at it right now. Sons of Soul, that's the one. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, if you will. Well, I I uh, I think it was about um, ten years ago. I was in LA, and I thought, yeah, I, I'd love to get back to writing again, but I'd like to write a novel. I like the idea of finding out if you can actually tell a story just through the written word. That's mm, what novels mm. are. Um, and I'd always done it through script writing. Um, and I thought, well, I, what about what are my favorite things? I love science fiction and I love comedy. So I'll make, I'll do yeah. a comedy science fiction book, but I thought I'm, I'd do a bit of research. And I was fortunate that at that point, Golans mm. had decided to produce the hundred best sci-fi books of the uh, 20th century. So I read yeah, them. Yeah. I read all of them. Uh, <laughs> you read all I of read them. All of them, and then I sat down for five months and um, yeah. uh, wrote the first draft. And then I got very busy, and then I came back to it yeah, later and wrote yeah. another draft. And then I had it with a, a guy who wanted to produce it, but he didn't. He it didn't happen. Um, and mm, then last mm. year, I was uh, doing a, a little a little short film for a man who wants to make a film about the Three Musketeers, and I was playing an old musketeer. And I was talking to the yeah. producer, and uh, he was saying, what else are you up to? And I said, well, I, you know, my one regret is I wrote a, a novel and never got published. He said, oh, I publish uh, novels. Is it a genre book? I said, yeah, it's science fiction. He said, give me a read of it. Yeah, he had it yeah. published in a month. 
It wow, was brilliant. That's fun. what you need. A, a, a real can-do guy, Dean Drinkle, if you see. Yeah. And I couldn't yeah. recommend him highly enough. In, in a thing called Domain Publishing, which is a very much a genre That's of it. horror and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we and you got some good reviews on there as well. Yeah, I got some very good, reviews, got a good yeah. review. Yeah, I think people were, were thought, oh, McManally's cashing in on his name a bit. Mm. Is um, <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. but even if that were true, yeah. why not? Though? Yeah. Yeah. That's, you got to, so I think I think their expectancy was so low that they were quite pleased that it's quite a it's quite <laughs> a, a, a snappy little tale of um, people being chased around. The I'm going to get it. I'm. I'm I'm going to get this, and if I if I get it, you, you you're going to have to uh, sign it for me, Kevin. That's uh, of course that, that is a yes. fact. Yeah, that's the I'll deal. Give yeah. you, I'll give you Mars bars yeah. for All right, it. Mars bars and beans, please. please. There you go. Deal. Job done. That's negotiation for you right there. <laughs> but it does look a lot of fun. I like that. Sci-fi comedy, yeah, Douglas good, Adams, yeah. Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all now that, Kevin Armour. All that yeah, lovely genre, genre yeah. Yeah, that that's yes. um uh, that little story you told us there, and you you know you mentioned it to the producer, and he said he publishes, and you know it, it's a bit like the the, the pirate story. You know, if you hadn't gone to the audition, mm. obviously you, you'd never have got it. And absolutely, it's, yeah. it's, it's and, and if I hadn't story. gone out for a drink with the producer of this, I would I wouldn't have my book published. Today. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's funny that isn't it? You, you know, chance encounters through life mm. that you have no idea and, and and almost no control over how or when they're going to occur, mm. and yet they do, and they change you in change some your direction way. completely. Yeah, I mean, to a yeah. certain extent, as uh, I always say to my young actors. Mm. There are also times when you have to do it yourself, you know, and there have been about course, four yeah. times in my Take career control. where I've gone, this mm. isn't particularly going the way I want. I've got to, one of them being saying to my agent, I'm not working unless it's a film. Yeah. So I get back to film, yeah. uh, which has paid off royally, of course. So, mm -hmm. um, at some point you have to go, no, I, I also, there was a little period in the 80s when I, I thought, the stuff I'm doing isn't very good. So I, I think I've got to not do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. You do have to work at it yourself, don't you? But there yeah. is there is mm. luck and you know cosmic intervention or whatever you want to call it. And, yeah. and like we were saying, and if if you don't take an opportunity of of, of any mm. sort, it's like when you know we I said we spoke to Sam Sproul for the podcast, and I went to uh, film a show at Chichester, Chichester Theatre that oh, that he right. was in, and I didn't realise it was him in it. And I said to the other guys I was filming with. He was, the, he was the bad guy in Doctor Who recently. And I, I said, I've got to go and say hello just to tell him how great he was in it. And then we got chatting and podcast came up and blah, 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 and went, you know, went from there. And and I'd have always kicked myself if I hadn't gone yeah, and done it, even so. though it's it wasn't a bit, you know, it was just saying hello and things like that. But, you know, with, with work, you know, and, and acting, you've just got any, you talk to anyone because you never know what, what might come from it. And things. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's imperative. Absolutely imperative. So I've got a question here from Gail, uh, who's Mealy Garage on Twitter. Oh, and yes. um, She says, I've been loving the Missing, ha missing Hancock oh, yes. episodes on the radio. Yes. Are there plans to do more or even a small stage tour? Well, um, you know, we filled in all the gaps. We did all 22 mm. of them. We did one on the television um, and we went to the Edinburgh Festival in 2015 and did it as a stage show. Just before lockdown, somebody did come to me and express an interest um, in doing some more of the t missing televisions. Uh, sadly, that went into abeyance for two years, and I don't know. If I, I was mm. going to contact him this week and say, you know, is that an idea we could pick up again? Um, sadly, I'm 20 years older than Hancock was when he committed suicide, so I'm going to have to, you know, put a lot of moisturizer on and a lot of spray in my hair to do it again. <laughs> um, 
although he didn't look great towards the end of his life. But um, no, I, I would I would be open to doing anything um, uh, Hancock related, apart from yeah. do anything that that you could hear him doing. There's no point in that. Mm, I've only mm, ever done that yeah. once, and that was I did the um, the test pilot sketch at the Royal Albert Hall for the hundredth anniversary of the RAF. Um, but I sort of did that in memory of my dad, who was uh, who was uh, was in mm, the RAF, mm. and uh, and it, you know it wasn't televised, and it was you know in front of an audience. Yeah, and it was yeah. for a very good cause. So. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. Do you know what's um because I, I before lockdown when I was doing a lot of driving up and down the country and you you're always looking for something to listen to. There's there's got to be something more. And I and I, I years ago I happened on Radio Four Extra, which is the the station that plays a lot of those yeah. old yeah. school comedies from you know way back when they started. And you hear John Pertwee, you know, in, in um, the Navy Lark, yeah. and there's the guys in Round the Horn and all those things. And it's a real, it's a real eye eye opener. And I I found an absolute love for that old school yeah. comedy. You know, it's very much of its time. Mm. And there are, are occasions when you have to be quite forgiving for it. Yeah. But just the sheer joy that comes through the radio, and you know, the, and, and so it means a lot. I think is what I'm getting to is is bringing to life all those Hancock episodes that we would just never be able to hear. You know, from, yes, um, from and, having and it's, lost and it's over funny the because uh, I was actually in Virginia shooting a TV show that I did for about four years over there. And mm. I was going for my uh, morning walk, and uh, I got a very long email from Neil Pearson explaining. Um, all of this, and uh, I just sent back yes. I yeah. thought that I'd been trying to do something about Hancock for years, and I suddenly realised when you Had asked you? me this, yeah, yeah, I suddenly realised when he asked me is what well, I didn't want to do a film actually about him being a hopeless alcoholic and an arsehole. You know, I wanted to, mm. I wanted to do him at his best, and and this seemed the mm. obvious yeah. way to do it. The funny thing was, he told me later that um, he'd taken this idea, it was the 60th anniversary of the first Hancock, and he'd taken this idea to the BBC, and they said, well, of course, it's it's very, um, it, it depends very much on whether you can find a Hancock or not. You know, that's the main problem. <laughs> he thought, yeah, God, that's going to be a struggle. And that night, he went to a party yeah. and met Andy Hamilton, and he explained his dilemma to Andy. And Andy said, well, he said, look no further, Kevin McNally's your man. It's hard to get him not to be Hancock, even when he's playing a psychopath. So um, they offered me the job. That was amazing. That was like Andy Hamilton was just in the in the podcast. It was uncanny. We were so, <laughs> we to put with special extra special guest yeah. Andy, Andy Hamilton yeah. on the bottom of this. Yeah. So, um, so down the rest is history. So it was just terrific. It wasn't yeah. on the, until the first performance, and um, mm. and Neil said, uh, and as the lad himself, Kevin McNally, I walked out and I thought, oh my god, what am I doing? This could, be, <laughs> this could be a disaster. People throw tomatoes at me. Yeah. But it, fortunately, it was received very well. And I had very much the same stomach churning when I played, you know, Captain Mannering. And that, that was yeah. that was nerve-wracking. But is, is it the responsibility of the character then? Because it was played so... Or, or, you yeah, know, it's the specificity. They, those characters were encompassed so fully. It's the specificity of playing... Mm. Uh, somebody very famous version of a character you know you're not playing yeah, i'm not i yeah. wasn't playing captain mannering i was playing arthur lowe's version of captain mannering and i, and I wasn't responding to that Goldman simpson scripts as kevin mcnally it was tony mm. hancock doing those scripts so that's the extra layer yeah yeah that that gives you the willies <laughs> about it's almost about like like, like two in one yeah yeah, yeah it, is, it's, it is it's two jobs in one well that that um mm. 
that that leads me to a question I had here about the uh, Lost Dad's Army episodes that you were doing. So, did you try to uh, replicate the performances as they were, you know, played on screen, or did you do it your your way? So, no, I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be as much like Arthur Lowe as possible. Um, I don't think anybody was interested mm-hmm. in my version of Captain Mannering. They want to see someone uh, mm-hmm. quite skillfully. Um, uh, recreating Arthur Lowe. And of course, the problem was, is that I, the moment somebody asked me to play Tony Hancock, I've adored Tony Hancock all my life and I knew I could do it. I had never for a moment considered anybody was going to ask me to play Arthur Lowe. And I, in fact, when mm. um, I, Tom Weber, who produced it, uh, asked me, I said, give me a week and I'll let you know. And I just immersed myself in dad's army. And slowly over a few <laughs> days, yeah. I found I was walking up to the bedroom going, Oh, what is it now, Elizabeth? You know, and, and I thought, oh, oh, I think there is one in there. I think I can do him. So I, I, mm-hmm. I found it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that put shivers up my spine. That did it. <laughs> it was just Arthur Lowe again. So it was Andy Hamilton Boy. and Arthur Lowe and Hancock. There you go. <laughs> Lining <laughs> so it's a, up. Today. It's a guest celebrity yeah. packed episode yeah. of our podcast. I know it's a this game. Yeah, it, tell you. It gets all these people on. It's a game. It's all <laughs> these people on. Says it's just Kevin McNally. He's a fibby, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, nearly an armful. <laughs> a point. Oh, he did that one, didn't he? I, I can't do that. I end up going Bristol. A point. <laughs> That's nearly an armful. I mean, I don't There's mind no Bristol a man, but a pint. But it's very nearly an armful. I'm sorry, I'm not walking around with an empty arm for anybody. <laughs> it's cracking stuff, isn't it? It's just cracking stuff. <laughs> That is uncanny. It was a great that joy was, for me, of course, oh, when we did goodness. the first ones in 2014 that Galton and Simpson yeah. uh, were there for the recordings and they were so generous and sweet to us. It was lovely. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Mm. So what's what's next on the list then, Kevin? Obviously, you've got a bit of ADR to run to I've got a bit of ADR to do this afternoon, project. a bit of teaching this evening. Uh, I start filming on mm. Wednesday. I'm doing a wonderful, oh. a wonderful project. Um, no, you have to sign NDRs nowadays. What can I say about it? It is the prequel <laughs> to a oh. very famous 1960s horror film. Ooh. And so I have been trying um, over the last month yeah. to summon up this actor who was in this film. Um, and we're going to recreate that atmosphere, those people. Oh. But in the story before the story of the original film, so yeah, okay. I can. That's all I can give you. No guessing. Uh, um, oh, but as soon as I'm allowed to release it, it'll be, it'll be great. But you, yeah. you can all just go away thinking what your favourite '60s horror film was. Now, yeah, yeah, maybe we can get people to tweet in see if anyone can guess yeah, it in, I'm in start, advance. I'm starting to run yeah. through my inner encyclopedia yeah, exactly. now. To be honest, there's only three entries in there because I'm not that well versed in such things. There right. isn't any capacity, right. but still, it's uh, it's an exercise. You've got yeah. me. Got my appetite whetted for that. That sounds like that a sounds lot of good. fun. Though. And then, did you say you're doing a, a western as well? I did a western last year, oh, Death on the Dearborn. That might be out this year. Um, uh, I must say, when the producer, who I knew well, I'd worked up in Montana mm. with him on another film, and he asked me to do this because he knew I, w- I always wanted to be in a western. I said, "Oh, I've got a few questions for you." He said, "Has he got a hat? Yes. Has he got a badge? Yes. Has he got a gun? Yes. Has he got a horse?" <laughs> No, he's never on a horse. I said, write a scene when he's on a horse. I can't come back yeah, and to England and say, I've just been in a Western. And they say, what's your horse like? Yeah. And I said, I wasn't on one. They'll say, what sort of yeah. cowboy were you? you know? Yeah. Exactly. And then yeah. I realized. It's like going to Venice and not going on a condom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I said to him, um, 
I presume at my age, if you're asking me to play the sheriff in a Western, I don't last very mm. long. He said 14 minutes. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I said, I, I don't mind. Um, I'll get shot in the 14th. <laughs> 14th minute you can you can do the um the the sort of spin the spin when they get shot yeah hit in the shoulder yeah yeah. the way they Uh, do that I do my own stunt at the end, and it's rather impressive. I have to tell you. Oh, that sounds good. I'm well, amazed. Already. I was going to say, you know, Judy uh, Judy Dench uh, did eight minutes of screen time, didn't she? And won an Oscar, so you know, yeah. fourteen minutes is you should get two okay. two for that, really. Much you know. as I loved making Death on the Dearborn, I think its Oscar tally will be quite low. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's you know, a sometimes low budget film, but it was tremendous yeah. fun to make. Well, that's it. You know, yeah, fil- that's, that's films counts, films yeah. should be fun, shouldn't they? And it, you know, mm. it shouldn't always be about winning they awards and things I mean, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So I've got a question here that came out. I don't know if you saw this one, Paul, when it came in on Twitter. I thought this was a... Is it the one I'm looking at? Is it the one I'm looking it, at it right be, now is, from Sophie the Otter? Yeah. So, Go on. <laughs> Sophie asks, Kevin, if you were a biscuit, what biscuit would you be? I'd be a Leibniz chocolate biscuit. Oh, that's a good <gasps> choice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's I know. Quite, so light, got little... quite light, crispy, mm. and a nice thick amount of chocolate. Yeah, which hangs over the edge of the biscuit base, yeah. and you can nibble around them, can't you? Yes, exactly. I was recently, yeah. um, I was in Toulouse and Budapest, and um, I have to be very mm. careful because I'm diabetic, but my bis- my Leibniz biscuit count was absolutely extraordinary. I can only hope now, the roof, um, because you hear these stories in the profession, that next week a huge... A van comes outside, and I'm I'm sent a lifetime supply of Leibniz biscuits. That would yeah, be yeah. <laughs> and and same same we, we for me and Paul. That. We yeah. should do product placement yeah. so that yes. we can basically stock up on food yeah. for the rest of our <laughs> naturals, yeah. Jeff. I'm glad I the rest of our naturals. We can just stock up. Perhaps I'll get a few bottles of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or Blue Nun, <laughs> whichever takes you. Fancy. I'm not a fan of the old Blue Nun. It's a little bit sweet, isn't it? But uh, you know, I'll take it if it's going free. No mind about that. That's for sure. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. It just just came from just just nowhere. <laughs> just happens, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think that is pretty much all our questions, Jeff. Unless there's uh, anything else you've got on there. I mean, the good thing I like about you, um, I do like about you, Kevin, is you took the time to answer a lot of questions on our mm. Twitter page from fans yeah, directly. People were, I don't think anyone's ever no. done that before, and it was the fans were loving yeah, it. Like, they right. have to think, oh, Kevin. We, we were in a in a chat know? group with some other fans, and uh, they they were. Uh, putting in screenshots, weren't they, of tweets that you were answering? And the, yeah, and were, Kevin's yeah. replied to me. Look at this. <laughs> People were famous. Really thrilled about I, it. I was doing that yeah. as well, mind you. <laughs> so yeah, that that was lovely. So um, uh, one last uh, question on where you you've got uh, uh, work to do this afternoon. But um, have you got anything you'd like to say to Doctor Who fans that are listening? Uh, Yes, um, I, I really admire your tenacity and your loyalty to Doctor Who and keep it up and, uh, and, and watch out for some announcements later in the year. Oh, that is exciting. That, that, that's just going to break the yeah. internet saying things that like is, that. You know, um, that's, a, that's a cliffhanger f- on, on par with uh, Jodie turning into a weeping angel, I think. That's probably a, a good point to to end, end this uh, episode on, isn't it? Nicely yeah. done, Jeff. Yeah. Nicely done. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for joining us today. It's pleasure. been an absolute pleasure, and um, we uh, look forward to seeing what's what's next from you in, in the worlds of Doctor Who and, and everything else you're working on as well. Great. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Brilliant. Very thank much you so. very much. Very much so, Kevin. All the very best for whatever you're doing thank next. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been great speaking with you. Thank you. 